You know what I love? Calzones, a good calzone. And one of my favorite things to do after the podcast is head over to Sauce on the Side in the Grove. You know the place. It's the place with the big calzone sign outside. Sauce on the Side offers a variety of calzones and salads. My personal favorite is the Roasty Toasty. It's pesto chicken, pine nuts, red onion, arugula with mozzarella, ricotta, and made-from-scratch pesto sauce. Mm, just delicious. Be sure to check out other great calzones, too, like the Meet Me in St. Louis, the Duke, Fatty B, and don't forget about the Sauce on the Side special calzone of the month. They also offer incredible salads like the Italian, Smokehouse, Beats Me, Caesar, Zen Garden, and my personal favorite, the Strawberry Fields. And if you're in a dessert mood, try one of the Sauce on the Side delicious dessert calzones, which include the Apple Pie, Nutella Banana, mm, and Special Dessert of the Month. Sauce on the Side has six locations in the greater St. Louis area, six including downtown, The Grove, Clayton, Twin Oaks, Chesterfield, Wentzville, and soon-to-be St. Charles. Sauce on the Side offers safe and socially distanced dine-in, as well as contactless curbside pickup and delivery. For more information or to order online, visit their website at sauceontheside.com. Sauce on the Side appreciates your business and thanks you for your continued support during these trying times. That's Sauce on the Side. Today on the podcast... Heavyweight hustle Calvin Tankman joins the show to talk his Midwest beginnings, his WrestleMax STL campaign, and his recent run at the MLW heavyweight title. It's all today on the Grandel Wrestling Podcast. Wrestling fans out there, welcome back to the Grandel Wrestling Podcast. Ben Simon here with another awesome edition, and we're talking to one of our biggest guests yet. I'm talking about heavyweight hustle, Calvin Tankman. Calvin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and I've been reading up all about your career. We've, I mean, I've been familiar with your career for the past several years. First saw you back in 2017 at a Glory Pro show back when they were running in Spalding Club in Illinois. I think you were in the ring with Gary J., if I recall correctly. But it's been a, yeah. heck, of a heck of a ride since then, and uh, you're only a five-year pro. Uh, talk about your beginnings, because I think it's very interesting to see how people start in the wrestling game. Uh, really, uh, it's one of those things I've always wanted to do. And I had a friend, uh, that was another huge wrestling fan and we both had talked about it. So we kind of like, uh, looked into it, found a good, uh, found a training school, uh, that was close. And then, uh, that Friday we were there trying to figure out, uh, how training worked and payment and all that other stuff and kind of like took off from there. I think, uh, I was 20, so it was a couple months before I turned 21, uh, like the summer of 2015, and I believe I had my first match that November. Now, you are from Indianapolis. Is that also where you grew up and trained? Uh, no. So uh, I grew up in a small town an hour east called Newcastle, uh, but uh, Indy's home because basically since my wrestling career that's where i trained uh that's where i'm at every weekend traveling to other shows i basically 
I lived halfway between Newcastle and Indianapolis my whole wrestling career. So now I know that I was watching some major league wrestling more recently, of course, and you're constantly billed as six to 355 pounds D one football recruit. Uh, so in wrestling, a lot of times the people who have the legitimate athletic background fare the best have the have a really good head start in pro wrestling talk about that football background because everybody's always been really vague about it and i'm curious um so yeah uh football was really like wrestling was the first love when i was like three years old uh but my like family physician ran like the youth league like the entry league the second grade league um, or no, the third, fourth grade league. And so he, like, from the time I was, like, three and he saw how big I was going to be, he was like, oh, you need to play football. We need to get you playing football. Um, and I used to tell him I wanted to be a wrestler. And he would just, every time we went to go to the doctor for a checkup or something, he would, like, have a conversation about how football is more realistic than wrestling <laughs> and I can go to college from football. Uh, so... Uh, my parents agreed, and basically they were just like, we don't even know how you would get into wrestling, and you're a child, so we're just going to let you play football because we know you like that also. Um, and then that was kind of like uh, the thing for me since I was a kid. Uh, so I uh, did that from seven years old until I played semi-pro right before uh, – right before I decided to uh, start wrestling. So from the time I was seven years old until I was 20, I was playing football. Um, and then kind of got more serious uh, once I got out of middle school and got into high school because uh, um, our team was low on numbers. We had a lot of people graduating. So like I ended up uh, playing the majority of the first varsity game I had ever like went to as a high school student uh <laughs> and then started the rest of the season at 14 years old so like then my dad was like you know it's not often that you see freshmen starting so if that's the case you need to really hone in on this so uh, that was my real focus hitting the weight room hard and stuff in high school and then uh towards the end basically uh I was a kid that was like more preoccupied with like going to practice and hanging out with friends rather than homework. Uh, so like I had a lot of C's and uh, NCAA doesn't like C's very much. Uh, so I had to get my uh, grades up before I could go to college. Um, and I had some looks from like IU, uh, Indiana State. I uh, got a couple letters from Mizzou and some other uh, decently sized schools and then a lot of smaller schools. Um, and then uh, didn't get my grades up in time, so went to uh, go to a junior college for a semester uh, here in the state. Get my grades up, and uh, two weeks in, found out I was gonna, or two months in, found out I was gonna be a dad, and so that kind of really put a slowdown on my football career. Man, that you know, hearing that, it sounds like a, a really big setback. How did you handle that? Did it light a fire under you, or did it just really bring you down? Um, both, like, 
it was one of those things where it lit a fire under me because I needed to provide at that point. Like, you know, uh, I was lucky enough to like have a good father that was around and not everyone in my family did. And so I saw how that affected people. Um, and I never like, you know, I had a cousin that lived with me and, uh, his dad would like say he was going to come get him or something and his dad wouldn't come. And so I like, as a kid, I like made a promise to myself, like whenever I have kids, I never want to be like that. You know, like I always want to be there for my kids and do the right thing. So like, I mean, I hadn't turned 19 yet when I found out I was going to be a dad. So like I immediately dropped out of college and got a job. Um, and then kind of had to figure out what I was going to do from there. Um, at times, like it got depressing cause like, you know, when you're that young, uh, a lot of times when you have kids, you want to be able to like be ready for that and have that on your own time and be able to like, um, make sure that you're financially stable and ready to give the child the life that it needs, you know? Yeah. Uh, but when life comes at you so fast, you don't really have that opportunity and you didn't really have the time to get the specifications you need to be able to provide the way that you would like. Uh, so it really makes it difficult, you know, especially coming from a, a small town where there's not a lot of job opportunities. Uh, so like at times it got depressing. Um, and then like, you know, I still played a little bit of semi-pro and had uh, talks with trying to get in some Canadian league tryouts and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, really started like getting back into wrestling. I had been the year, a couple years before then and, uh, talked to, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my daughter's mom, and she believed in me and supported me and said, like, you know, uh, if, as long as like she's taken care of, we'll make it work, you know, uh, like, you know, I believe in you. I believe that you could do this this is really what you want to do and I'll support you. And like, even to this day, we're not together, but you know, she still supports it and understands and we work things out when I'm on the road. So, uh, it's like definitely been harder, uh, but it also allowed me to be 26 years old and more mature than a lot of 26 year olds. Um, because I have to be, you know, cause it's, it's more than just me. Like, I said this in my MLW promo, but I literally think about this all the time, like where a lot of guys are 25, 26 years old and you're saying like, they're so young in the business, they're so this. Yeah, I'm technically young in the business, uh, but I also have a child that, and she's six years old. So in 10 years, I'm gonna have to pay for her first car and driving lessons. And in 12 years, I gotta pay for college. So like, you know, a lot of guys my age don't have kids and they're not thinking about that. So they're young and can do what they need, whatever they want, you know, uh, they, they can scrape by. But like if I scrape by and I'm, I'm not doing the things I need to do to get to this money and provide, um, I'm kind of doing her a disservice. And so like uh, it, it's, it's put a lot of a lot of things in perspective for me uh, a lot quicker than it would. I feel like for a lot of people and I feel like that's helped me out a lot. Yeah, it's, thank you for sharing that, Calvin. I appreciate it. Um, no problem. 
So around in the Midwest, uh, a lot of people know you from being in IWA Mid-South, the IWA Mid-South heavyweight champion at a time. Uh, talk about your involvement with that company um, and perhaps its hardcore aspects. And what's it like working with Ian Rotten? Um, you know, you hear a lot of horror stories. <laughs> um, you hear a lot of things. But I can honestly say that Ian Rotten has never done me dirty. Good. Has he paid me very low? Yes. But I knew I was getting paid low when I agreed to do it. See, that's the thing that people don't understand about IWA. IWA is not a place you go to get rich. IWA is a place that you go and you earn less money because you know he brings in some of the top guys and you can be in the locker room and learn from them. You can get matches with them and learn from them and get better. Like, you watch CM Punk where he got to wrestle all the top guys that came out of the WWE, all the top guys from around the world had all those crazy matches. You could go, you could possibly say that the CM Punk wouldn't have been the CM Punk that he was had he not took the time to make less money and earn not only his keep, but learn how to be the main event level star by being up against those main event level stars. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so like at that point in my career, I was just looking for an opportunity and to be honest, uh, I may have been driving three, four hours for $10, but at the same time, he had me in the ring in my first year and a half with Billy Gunn and guys I had no reason to be in the ring with. But he saw something in me, and I was willing to work to to, uh, to get what I needed out of it. So um, it's one of those things where you see a lot of things, you hear a lot of things, but honestly, Ian's very old school, and you've got to understand the old school mentality. And nine times out of ten, if there's something he's mad at you about, you already knew it would tick him off because he's told you about it beforehand. Before he, Does that make sense? Right. Like, uh, it's like if there's an older gentleman that grew up in the 50s and 60s, right? There's certain things you can, like, that us as younger people in this day and age may say to each other that we don't think is disrespectful, but if you said that to somebody who was brought up in a different era, they'll think it's really disrespectful. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's just like one of those type of things. Um, as far as everything else and all the other horror stories, I don't know anything about that, but to be honest, I went down there for the experience of... Um, this is where some of the best of the best in the Midwest, like, you know, some of the guys he was bringing on a regular were top guys in the Indies that, like, no other show in Indiana was bringing in. So, like, where can I get that experience to be in a ring in a locker room and pick those people's brains than there? Absolutely. And I, I think I, I totally agree with what you're saying here with, <coughs> uh, with IWA Mid-South. Um and you left on good terms with them, right? Or are you still working with them on occasion? Uh, every once in a while, he'll bring me in uh, for some events. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like we, I, I don't have any ill will toward Ian. He's never done anything to me. Um, so. When you talked about training and coming up, did you, did you train with IWA? Or did, was that just like the first uh, bigger place that you worked? Uh, that was the first place that people like the first name, I guess, indie that people know that I worked. Uh, I trained at a small place in Indianapolis. 
Um, and then um, after learning the basics there, uh, they had a show every Friday that you could go to that a lot of guys in Indiana went to. Uh, up until recently, there was some big drama that I'm not going to get into with that. Um, and then uh, TJ Kemp, uh, I don't know if uh, a lot of you guys know a Midwest wrestler by the name of Sean Kemp. Uh, it's his father. He was trained at OVW. Uh, so he really brought that old school um, reason for doing everything, methodical uh, thought process to me and really taught me the how and whys and uh, really taught me the ropes of the business. Um, and then uh, TJ Kemp, Apollo Star, uh, a, a guy named Hillbilly Jed from um, Indiana, uh, Drew Skills, I mean, Congo Kong's helped me out tremendously. He was, I think, there my first training session. He came to help out. He wasn't necessarily a trainer there, but it was one of those places, like I said, at that place, when guys had open dates in Indiana, they'd come there to work on their game or try new things or, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, like, he was someone that was, like, at shows all the time giving me pointers or helping me out whenever he could. So those were really my beginnings. And then... Uh, from IWA, uh, myself and Vance Warner um, would just drive five, 12 hours to shows, help set up, and uh, hopefully earn a like pre-show opportunity or somebody, you know, called off because you know they got a flat tire and couldn't make it. They need someone. They give you an opportunity. So uh, I've done a lot of that to really uh, get the opportunities that I've had for people to see me. You mentioned Mance Warner, and I saw online that you also are pretty close with A.J. Gray and Suge D. Uh, explain the significance, uh, significance of, these, uh, of these men as friends, as associates in wrestling, uh, and how they've gotten you to where you are. Um, Mance is uh, one of those guys that I, I think I met Mance we might have been five matches in, we and so um, since then, like, then we went to IWA together, and it was one of those things where, okay, you know, you, you know the guys that come to places like IWA that don't pay much and want to learn, you know those are the guys that are willing to do whatever it takes to succeed and really, like, care about the business. Um, and so it's one of those things where we saw that same hustle in each other. And so we started like hitting the road together to go to the shows, splitting gas, you know, if he had a booking and I wasn't booked and it was a place I wanted to be, Hey, what bookings do you have? I'm hopping in the car with you and going there and help set up, you know, mm-hmm. uh, AJ's another one where we met on the road. Uh, some of the guys that helped me at the beginning, uh, also helped AJ. So, I mean, I, I think my first out-of-state road trip, I went to from Indianapolis to Northern Virginia, and then and uh, the last night we wrestled in Alabama, and that was the night I met AJ. And since then, we both had a football background. Uh, obviously, wrestling's in common, and we got the same sense of humor. So we just like to <laughs> crack jokes on each other, you know. I can imagine. Yeah, and Shug's just like that big brother uncle vibe like he's been around longer than he's been doing this for a while like he calls himself a journeyman for a reason like he's really put the work in to get where he's at 
And so it's one of those things where guys like him that have done this for 10, 12 years, you know, it may have taken them 10, 12 years to get here because they may have taken so many mistakes or pitfalls along the way or things that they wish they would have had someone nudge them and tell them, hey, maybe don't do this because this is going to be the outcome of this, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe don't do this a different way. You know, I can go to Suge and I can ask him and I can talk to him and he'll give me advice so that I don't have to waste time making some of the same mistakes he did. And so I'm really thankful for that because, like, not everybody has to or wants to spend the time to help you get better. Right. And it's great connections to have in wrestling. And uh, it's known that in 2019 you participated in one of WWE's tryouts down in Florida. I am so curious about this. I know it was at least several days. It must have been grueling, was it? Uh, tell us about how, how did you get into this uh, tryout in the first place? What was the connection? Uh, right place, right time. Man, that's uh, I happened to be booked. I happened to be booked on a show with someone that used to work for them. Um, and I asked them to watch from, like I was saying, I always asked people that are better than me. Once I get to know you or if I introduce myself to you, Hey, do you want to watch my match and give me critiques? What could I do better? You know? And he said, yeah, no problem. I'd planned on it anyway, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, afterwards he gave me some critiques, asked for my info and told me that like, he can't do anything. All he can do is send stuff to his old coaches and hope they care. So I was like, you know, thank you. You know, I didn't think anything of it. Some weed trade messages back and forth. And then almost a year later, I get an email saying, could you make this tryout? So Almost a year later? Yeah. Okay. Well, I would have uh, lost faith in that myself. That's pretty awesome. So what, yeah. was, the, what was the tryout like? Uh, they really put you through the paces, I guess, huh? Three days. Um you're there at 9 a.m. You do three hours of workout. You get lunch. And then you do four hours of workout. And then you leave uh, around five or six. So it's a full eight hours. Um, and you do that three days. Three days straight. Uh, the last day they had us do some like matches. And when you first get in there, they have you, like, do promos and stuff. So it was really nerve-wracking. Like, walking in, I think we had, at the time, like, the biggest tryout they'd had. It was, like, 45 or 50 people. Walking with all these people that a lot of them probably are better athletes than me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one girl that was in there. I believe she has, like, 100-meter or 400-meter dash or something like that. She has some type of track record in uh, the, or NCAA women's record. So, like, I'm not even close to that type of athlete. You know what I mean? They had a former Bellator uh, world champion and their MMA champion. Like, Ooh, care to drop people, any names? Uh, it was uh, Will Brooks. Ill Will Brooks. Oh, okay. So uh, he was in there. Another freak athlete. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
Um, and all these people that I, I hadn't met, one guy was a bodyguard for Drake at one point uh, oh. and played like college football. So he probably 6'6 and like 280 and no fat on it. Right. And that, you know what I mean? Like, and so, and then the, you meet your coaches and you sit there and they, they give you a little introduction. And then it's like, all right, are you doing promos? You got a minute. We'll give you a 10 second count or your, uh, 10 second silent countdown. And then, uh, or we'll notify you at 10 and then we'll give you your, uh, five second silent countdown. Mm-hmm. And you got to go have, you know what I mean? First thing in front of Regal, in front of everybody. All right. You met us, go get a promo in front of us. So, uh, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, I didn't think about it. Tried not to think about it too much. Then I was just like, all right, I'm here, I'm here to do a job, put my best foot forward. Uh, but at the same time, like looking back on it now, it's like, man, like that's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. That's gotta be nerve wracking. How, what kind of percentage of people out of like those 50 or whatever you said, uh, did anyone drop out of the three day, like during the event and they're just like eh, it ain't for me uh, there were some that didn't pass for medical oh okay but uh there was one from injury mm-hmm. yeah i think there, there was one from injury and then there was a couple that the first day like their heart rate was too high or something so they sent them home like something like not like i mean it's not super small like that's obviously could be something bad but you know Sometimes, or your blood pressure, you can go get like a small dosage of medicine and fix your blood pressure and be all right and work on yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't like life threatening, but it's one of those things where they were like, eh, get your heart under control first. Right. But um, other than that, no, I didn't see anybody like pass out. I mean, there was a couple of times whew, there was like, all of us were like running heavy. That's what I mean. It's like if those are the top quality athletes, like, and they're having trouble with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, everybody's having trouble with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Uh, shortly after the, uh, the Performance Center tryout, uh, of course, the pandemic struck and changed the wrestling world and life in general. But you were one of the uh, wrestlers who said, hey, we're going to keep on grinding. We're going to keep on working whatever shows that we can. And in fact, it came out that uh, after a while, that you had signed a contract during the pandemic for Major League Wrestling, even though you didn't debut until months later. How in the world are you one of the guys, after everybody's getting laid off, you managed to get a contract during the pandemic with a major organization? I have no clue, honestly. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the, the, here's the weird thing. So... Everybody thinks because they announced it after GCW when I had my debut and a lot of people found out who I was. Mm-hmm. But I had signed my deal like two months before then. They just waited to announce it and I couldn't say anything. So you signed in like May 2020, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And I didn't debut for GCW until the end of June. Yeah. So like people were like, wow, that was quick. They signed him up quick. I knew he'd get signed soon, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you guys just didn't know it was two months ago. Right. Well, that's great. So uh, was it Court Bauer that took an interest directly in you? Um, yeah, I believe so. I, I can't remember who reached out exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Court 
was definitely one of the first ones. Whenever Major League Wrestling signed you, if I recall correctly, they were not running any shows at all, like not even close set. And I, I don't think they did for until like the fall or the winter even. You had mm-hmm. your first match in October or November, is that right? November. Okay, so whenever you went in there, uh, was that the first time you had wrestled in front of no fans? No. Oh, okay. Well, you're a veteran then, <laughs> wrestling in front of no fans. It's a strange time in wrestling. I've, I've, I've done it in a, in a pandemic setting once or twice, but then I can't say that because technically when the, at the tryout you have your practice matches and there's no fans there. True. So I, I was thinking, I was like, have I done it outside of the tryout? No. Well, but I, it- I'm pretty sure, yeah. Things are looking up for you in Major League Wrestling. Uh, most recently, you can any of the listeners can go online and watch it right now on YouTube for free. Uh, Major League Wrestling Fusion aired on March 31st. Calvin Tankman wrestles for the MLW Heavyweight Championship against Jacob Fatu uh, of the brutal group Contra. Uh, and you had a, a heck of a match. It was only like 15 minutes, but it felt... It, I was watching it, and it felt really um, – it had a lot of substance to it. Uh, so I want to congratulate on you, you, congratulate you on getting that shot. Uh, what's it like being in such a, a prominent role in a, a company like this? It's wild. It's happened really fast. Um, but I'm grateful. It's one of those things. Uh, whenever good things happen to me, instead of thinking like, oh, this is cool, let me soak it in, in my head it's like – all right, I'm here. That means I got to, like, step it up because what's next? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so, like, I, I was honored and thankful that they gave me this opportunity and they think so highly of me. But at the same time, that means I got to bring it and I got to be ready. So uh, I was just excited to get started and really get to show what I could do on a national stage. When you worked uh, at, uh, when you wrestled in Glory <coughs> Pro back three or four years ago, uh, it wasn't at the top of the card. But more recently, Kevin Lee Davidson and WrestleMax STL have brought you back to the St. Louis area, and you competed in the David Lee Memorial Tournament. And so far on episodes one and two, first back on February 20th, you wrestled against Moonshine Mantel. And producer Joey O'Farrell said that was one of his favorite matches of the year and is definitely a favorite on that card. You have this move. I want to talk about the move, the Tankman Driver, okay? I love this move. It's like a Steiner screwdriver where you pick the guy up in a vertical suplex and then turn him around and drop him almost on his head like a pile driver. Uh, what's the inspiration behind this move? Talk about the Tankman driver. Uh, Really? I just thought Steiner screwdrivers were really cool. Uh, and I just wanted to like make it my own a little bit, you know? Put a yeah. little extra flair on it. Uh, I, I, th- I feel like I try to do that with a lot of things I do. It's like I may like take that I may be watching something from like you know 2005 like mm-hmm. Ring of Honor just some random show and I may see some random person do something and I'm like huh if I tweak this like this 
I can hit it into this move that I do, or if I tweak it into this, you know? So I try and take everything and, like, at least put a little bit of a, a stank on it. And so, uh, yeah, that's basically all it is. Just put some more impact and, and some more flair. Also, the, like, the charging elbow from behind to set the move up. Mm -hmm. It's brutal looking. I love it. Thank you. See, that's stolen, too. Uh, it's all stolen. <laughs> it's all well, stolen merchandise. Hey, we don't need to know that. I, I, I'm just listen, saying I love it coming from you, okay? It, 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 listen, I'm going to give props where it's due. But uh, it's one of those things. I saw Will Ospreay do it once or twice, and he does it, like, randomly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, you know what? When I finish, I drop people on their heads. So it would make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. for me to try and elbow their head off before I drop them on their head. So uh, that, and I was thinking, like, if he's little, like, relatively to me, you know, right. and he's generating that much force, imagine what my big ass could do. So I was like, let me see about this. Well, you know, I and I can picture you doing these moves to a 250-pound moonshine mantel a little bit better than Will Ospreay. No offense to Will Ospreay for the reason <laughs> you just mentioned. Uh, hey, uh, so you qualified for the tournament. You come back on April 3rd and take on Jake something and beat the big man, Jake something, in the same fashion. Uh, and then, of course, it took Mike Outlaw uh, favorite here in St. Louis to unseat you from the tournament, but you're not done with Wrestle Max. I understand you've got more coming up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will be back uh, on the next show, episode three. Um, and I'm not really sure what I'm doing yet, uh, but I know the matchmakers are going to give me something good because uh, I feel like I had a good showing in the tournament. And I may have come up short in the semifinals, but, you know, if anything, if you make it to the semifinals or finals, you should be in the top five at least uh, in uh, contenders for the title. So uh, whatever I do, uh, it's always got uh, gold intentions behind it. It was a strong tournament, too. And by the time that this episode drops, who knows, we may know what Calvin Tankman is doing, who he's up against at WrestleMax STL Episode 3 in May. Okay, so we're about to wrap things up here on the show, and I want to ask some more general questions. Uh, we've talked about the challenges in your life so far. Is there something that you could say in your wrestling career that has been your biggest challenge thus far, whether it was learning some type of life lesson or professional lesson, anything like that? Time management. Elaborate. Um wrestling consumes so much of your time um and then i have a normal job also because you know i gotta make sure my daughter's provided for mm -hmm. um and it, it's not to say that i'm not making some money from wrestling too uh but as long as i can make it work i'm gonna stack up my money so i'm good um so um between working a full-time job hours and planes and cars on the weekends um I just got back from Florida, and I was there six days, you know? Um, Mania weekend. Yeah, so um, making sure that I still make time to make sure um, my constant presence in my daughter's life, uh, and being there as much as I can. Like, anytime I don't have a show and I'm off of work, 
I'm with her, you know. Uh, so, because, like, she's getting older. She's six now. She'll be seven, uh, May 6th. So, um, we're, she wants to do stuff more. She's paying attention when dad's gone. I mean, she loves to watch dad on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, she likes watching, watching me wrestle. And she knows what I'm doing. But at the same time, uh, it's a toll on me because I want to be there more. Uh, but I got to do what I got to do to provide. Uh, so, um, it's really just making sure that you like love wrestling, but don't let wrestling, um, make you lose sight of what's really important. Take time, uh, to be with your family, uh, to be with your kids. Cause honestly, like, you know, we're risking our lives out there, you know, uh, anything could happen. So you want to make sure that, uh, you know, I never know how long I'm going to be here, so I want to make sure that my daughter knows that she's cherished and I cherish every moment I have with her. So, If WWE called you tomorrow and was like, hey, we want you in NXT, would you do that? Uh, depends on the check. <laughs> it's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you, you, you wouldn't mind working for WWE someday in the future, you know, headlining WrestleMania, all of the general oh, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, De- definitely not. Yeah. Um, but I'm also one of those guys that wants to do everything. Like, I tell people this all the time. You know, I, I, I would be happy with the AJ Styles route where I get to do everything I want to do in wrestling. And then when I'm ready to go accomplish the one thing I haven't done in, at, the, at the big company, then go there and do that, you know? You know, I've always liked that route because it seems that people who who take that route into WWE, where they're really established, uh, it seems like they have a lot more leverage just from where I sit. Yeah, definitely. And, like, it's one of those things where, like, you know, who's to say if I sign there tomorrow and then I'm there for the next 15 years and then I don't want to wrestle anymore? There's a whole list of things that I wanted to do on my wrestling bucket list that I'd never have a chance to do. So, mm-hmm. Well, Calvin, I think now is the time of the show where I ask the guest about their wrestling horror story. We want the scariest, the baddest, the maddest, the saddest, whatever you can tell us that's not incriminating. What do you have for us today? So this is... Um, from last week, actually. Last week in Florida? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Mania so, weekend. GCW's venue in Ybor City. Apparently, Ybor City is just haunted. And the Cuban <laughs> this is Club a story. Is, is the mecca of hauntedness. Like, <laughs> if that's a thing. I don't know. The Cuban but Club. But they told me, yeah. yeah, apparently it's like one of the top haunted places in the country. Nobody told us this before we were in there till three in the morning every night. Um, so, like, if like certain guys smoke cigarettes or whatever, and so they have their little like smoke area, but so they don't have to go up by the fans and like smoke cigarette right next to everybody. They have like a little balcony with like a uh, one of those cigarette disposable things. So you take this little rickety elevator, right? So. Uh, we all went up there because we were looking for somebody and we were talking. Jimmy Lloyd goes downstairs. Uh, and it's me and Jordan Oliver upstairs with one of the photographers. That's who we were looking for. We were looking for a photographer. So we were sitting up there. So me and the photographer goes downstairs. 
Jordan sits upstairs and he said, yo, tell Jimmy I'm up here. So we go downstairs. I forget all about the situation, right? This is after Jimmy's telling me about how haunted this place is. So I was already a little geeked out, but I was like, whatever. So I go back down to this little rickety elevator. I go back down to the locker room and I'm talking, minding my own business, drinking some water, chilling. And then about 25 minutes later, Jimmy Lloyd comes up to me and goes, hey, where's Jordan? I said, he was upstairs waiting on you. And he was like, no, he's not. He was like, and I just went upstairs, and when the elevator door opened, I felt like a cool breeze, and it felt like something tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, I immediately went downstairs. He's like, you got to come upstairs with me. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if I should go up there. Meanwhile, so let me explain this to you. So you come in the bottom floor, and, like, the floor goes, like, in like this, and then it, like, dips in like a bowl. Okay. So, like, they told me that apparently that used to be a pool, and a child drowned in there. So that's one of the haunted places. You go upstairs, right? So the fourth floor where this balcony is is a ballroom, right? So it goes up, and the door opens. It's a big-ass ballroom. Apparently, someone hung themselves from a chandelier in there. That's where Jimmy felt this touch, right? So we're going up this rickety elevator, and the, my heart's pounding. We, op- The elevator opens, and mind you, by this time, it's midnight. So it, there's, it was lighted by natural light the whole day. It's pitch black in there. And all you see is these creepy chandeliers and quietness. So we're like freaking out. And I'm like, you go out the elevator first. He's like, no, you go. So we go out. <laughs> and we're like walking real slowly. And we open the door to the uh, to <laughs> to the balcony. And it's just Effie sitting out there by himself. Nah. And we're like, oh, Effie. Okay, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Jimmy didn't go out there. Because as soon as he stepped in the ballroom, he felt the touch. He went immediately downstairs. <laughs> I think the question on everybody's mind, where was Jordan? I don't even know. To this, to this <laughs> He's still up time. there. <laughs> I literally mentioned it on Twitter, and all he said was "my bad" with a bunch of la- or crying, laughing faces. So I don't <laughs> even know where Jimmy found him later. <laughs> well, hopefully he's found somewhere. Hey, Calvin, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on the world of social media. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Calvin Tankman. Facebook.com slash Calvin Tankman one. Tremendous. And uh, we want to let you know that, as always, the show was recorded by our good friends here at Midcoast Studio in Midtown St. Louis. The producer of the show is Joey O'Farrell, and the engineer today is Monk Horrell. Uh, you can catch us on Instagram, Grandel Wrestling, and on Twitter at Grandel Wrestle. I'm Ben Simon. You can find me on Twitter at the Ben Simon. I post every now and then, but I'm not a part of wrestling Twitter. It's a little toxic, if you know what I mean. Hey, guys, we'll see you next time here on the Grandel Wrestling Podcast. Until then, we say thank you to Calvin Tankman, the heavyweight hustle. Best of luck to you upcoming in WrestleMax STL. It's been a pleasure, sir. And so long from the Show Me State.